You're listening to the SaaS Revolution Show with Alex Stumer, and uh, my guest today is Rahul Vora, CEO of Superhuman, uh, and you'll learn from Rahul the theory of game design and how you can apply that to your SaaS and how they used the theory of game design at Superhuman. Fascinating listening. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show. Uh, Rahul Vora, founder and CEO at Superhuman. Welcome, Rahul. Great. Thank you for having me. Great to have you on the show. Uh, a first-time guest, and uh, I think you're calling from San Francisco uh, today. Is that right? I certainly am, yeah. That's supposed to be early morning there as we're uh, drawing to the end of the week in, uh, in the UK. Uh, but speaking to uh, a, fe- a fellow Brit, and uh, um, how long have you been in uh, San Francisco? We're coming into my 10th year here in 2020. Excellent. Okay. So is, and is that, uh, assuming that you, you love the city, but obviously you're, you're there by choice with it being uh, Silicon Valley and, uh, um, I guess, uh, facilitating um, your, your startups uh, as such? Absolutely. I came here for my last startup, Reportive, ended up selling that to LinkedIn and uh, stayed because it's such a great place to build the kind of company like Superhuman. Awesome. So uh, we're, we're going to find out a little bit more about uh, yourself as an entrepreneur and, and superhuman, you know, in, in the, the beginning of the podcast and, and move uh, into a different topic, something that we, we haven't really kind of discussed uh, sort of too much uh, around, um, you know, how to build a product like a game. Uh, and uh, so just get, getting to, uh, I think, yourself as uh, Rahul Vora, um, like, tell us a little bit about uh, who you are, um, you know, who, who is Rahul Vora? Sure. Well, for those who don't know, I'm the founder and CEO of Superhuman, where we make the fastest email experience in the world. Our users end up getting through their inbox about twice as fast as before, reply to their important email sooner, and see inbox zero for the first time in years. And as for the founding moment of Superhuman, we have to wind the clock back by about 10 years when I was still in the UK. And in 2010, I started a company called Reportive. Folks may remember this. It was the first Gmail plugin to really get any kind of scale. Uh, Over on the right-hand side of email, when people emailed you, uh, we show you what they look like, where they worked, their recent tweets, links to their social profiles. We grew rapidly, and about two years later, we were acquired by LinkedIn. Now, during those four years, I developed a very intimate view of email. I could see Gmail becoming worse every single year, becoming more cluttered, using more memory, consuming more CPU, slowing down your machine, and still not working offline. And on top of that, people were installing plugins like ours, reported, but also things like Boomerang, Mixmax, Clearbit, you name it, they had it. And each plugin took these problems of clutter, memory, CPU performance offline, and made all of them dramatically worse. So we decided it was time for change. And we imagined an email experience that's blazingly fast, where searches are instantaneous, where every interaction is 100 milliseconds or less, an experience where you never had to touch the mouse, where you could do everything from the keyboard and fly through your inbox, an experience, of course, that just worked offline so you could be productive anywhere, and an email experience that had the best Gmail plugins built in natively, and that was yet still somehow subtle, minimal, and visually gorgeous. And so with that, we built Superhuman, uh, and now we're about 40 people, and last year we grew the business four times over. 
Awesome, awesome. So thanks for the the, the intro there and, and some of the background. And, and given that you you had a, a previous uh, uh, startup with a, a successful ending in LinkedIn, uh, acquiring yourself. So when you uh, realized that the problem uh, that you were going to solve was superhuman and, and to build that product, did you uh, fund that initially yourselves or or, or yourself or? Or did you look to you know get some uh, in investors you know straight from the uh, the get go? Yes, so I initially funded it myself for about the first year, uh, and then after that, I got started to raise uh, seed investment for Superhuman. And essentially, everyone who had backed the previous company was more than excited to come in again and invest in Superhuman. And you now is Series B, is is that right? That's right. So in around May of last year, we raised a really great Series B from Andreessen Horowitz. Uh, and that, you know, it's really pushing the company to the next level. So from Andreessen Horowitz, both Mark Andreessen and David Ulovich joined the board. Awesome. Well, uh, great board members to, uh, to have there. And um, uh, you're, a, a, you're a single founder for, for Superhuman. Um, <clears throat> are there any, any co-founders to speak of? Yes, yeah, so there's three of us as co-founders. Uh, I started the company and was joined about six to nine months in by my CTO uh, and by another co-founder. So my CTO is Conrad Irwin. He was actually the first employee I hired at my last company, and we've now been working together uh, for over 10 years. And Vivek Sadera is my other co-founder. He was a co-founder of Rapleaf that eventually became LiveRamp, which is now a very large billion-dollar public company. Mm-hmm. Uh, and hilariously enough, was actually the first person I ever met in San Francisco when I landed here uh, over a decade ago. Awesome, awesome. Well, a good uh, uh, story of serendipity there. And I, I've heard many that happen, I, I guess, in, in San Francisco um, uh, as, as it provides those, those possibilities. And a, a question I have before we get into the, the game design um, a theory is uh, obviously superhuman is invite only. And I believe there's a wait list of around 22,000 or more uh, sort of right now. Why, why did you decide on this sort of go to market strategy? Um, you know, has it, I, I, I'm assuming given that the, you know, the, the success that uh, we understand that um, you know, the growth of the business that it, that it has helped, uh, but why, why invite only? Good question. And actually, the waitlist today is north of 250,000. So it's quite a bit larger. The Mm. reason that we have it is so that we can ensure that the users that we onboard are successful. When you enter a domain as complex and as varied as email, what you find is that there's hundreds of different workflows and ways that users do things. I'll give you a very simple example. Some users have an Android, some users have an iPhone. Today, we only have an iPhone mobile app, and we're in the process of building our Android app. And we also realize and are very cognizant of the fact that email is an ecosystem product. It probably doesn't make sense unless you're hardcore desktop to use Superhuman on the desktop, but not on your Android phone. And so for that reason, we, we tend to pause onboarding users who require Android and that's the main reason why we run the waitlist. The other reason, of course, uh, for those who don't know, is that we onboard every single user one-to-one. So this is a live 30-minute video call with one of our wonderful onboarding specialists. And we do this to really take the time to understand how you're doing your email and to get you set up in the best possible way inside of Superhuman. And of course, there's only a certain rate at which we can do that, 
and we're very serious about doing it properly. And that's the other reason why we run the waitlist. Awesome. All right. Well, th- thanks for the, uh, the the background on that. And so let, let's talk about game design. And uh, you know, can you give us a, a brief introduction uh, to, to what this is? Well, Superhuman is productivity software, but I'm really a gamer at heart. And today our business software feels like work. We have to check our email, submit expense reports, enter data in our CRM. What I've always asked is this, what if we could make software less like work and more like play? And with game design, I know that we can. Now most software companies worry about what users want or need, but nobody needs a game to exist. There are no requirements as such. And when you make a game, you don't worry about what users want or need, you obsess over how they feel. Because when your product is a game, people don't just use it, they play it. They find it fun, they tell their friends, and they fall in love with it. And as it turns out, game design is therefore an altogether different kind of product development. And how do you use, how do you use this uh, specifically uh, at Superhuman and on your product? Well, I've been obsessed with understanding the theory of game design for basically my entire life. As a kid, I learned to code just so I could make games before I was a founder. I worked as a game designer uh, over at Jagex in Cambridge, in fact. And as a founder, I've gone deep into the principles of game design. And as it turns out, there really isn't a unifying theory of game design. To create games, we need to draw upon the art and science of many fields of psychology, mathematics, storytelling, and interaction design, just to name a few. And at Superhuman, we've distilled these down to five key factors. To do good game design, you have to consider goals, emotions, controls, toys, and flow. So if we look at goals, um, well, what are the goals at Superhuman? Well, so in Superhuman, we set a very concrete goal, get to inbox zero. And it turns out that games need goals. In fact, goals are a defining feature of games. But we can't just have any goals. We need good goals. And for a game, good goals are concrete, achievable, and rewarding. And Get to Inbox Zero is certainly a very concrete goal. But they must also be achievable. And that's one of the reasons why we onboard users. In these onboardings, we teach faster workflows to get to Inbox Zero. We teach powerful shortcuts so that you never have to touch the mouse. And if you're very far away, we wipe the slate clean so that you're within a stone's throw of inbox zero, thus making the goal more achievable. And finally, the goal should be more rewarding. When you hit inbox zero, you feel triumph over your email, a previously rare and incredibly rewarding feeling. Now, most business software does not have clear goals. And if there are goals, they are often unachievable and unrewarding. So my advice would be this, if you want to build software like it's a game, then create goals that are concrete, achievable, and rewarding. You'd probably be horrified if you saw my inbox, which is at, uh, I think it's like 9,815 emails at the moment. So uh, uh, maybe I need to set myself uh, some goals there to get to to inbox zero, but I I feel very daunted with that that number uh, at the moment. you you mentioned um, obviously the the other uh, the other kind of well there was four uh, parts to this right and uh, motion control and flow I'm not necessarily sure if it was in that particular order but do you want to talk me through those uh, as well and 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 how uh, you use those within the uh, the, the product uh, uh, and as part of the theory of game design. 
Sure. Well, why don't you pick one? The five key factors that we usually think about are goals, emotions, controls, toy, and flow. So if you like, we can talk about emotions. Yeah, let's, let, let's talk about emotions. Got it. Well, this turns out to be fundamental to game design. The best games create strong emotions because strong emotions are the foundation of our memory. So we therefore must be able to analyze emotion. And in order to do that, we need a vocabulary. Now, there are many models of human emotion. The most famous is Plutchik's Wheel. He identified eight core emotions, joy, surprise, anger, and so on. Opposite emotions on his wheel are opposite uh, from each other, or rather across from each other. For example, joy is opposite to grief. And you can actually blend adjacent emotions on his wheel to create more complex feelings. For example, when you combine joy and anticipation, you get optimism. And when you combine joy and trust, you get love. But as game designers, we need a much richer vocabulary than academia provides because the emotions we're aiming for are much more nuanced. Uh, and for listeners who are interested in that wider vocabulary, I'd recommend The Emotional Wheel by the Hunto Institute for Entrepreneurial Learning. So at Superhuman, we care deeply about the emotion of joy. And joy has many sub-facets, many more subtle sub-emotions. We design for enthusiasm and excitement. Our users come to us super excited to use the product and get to inbox zero. We design for optimism and hopefulness. Our users genuinely want Superhuman to improve their lives. And we design for pride and triumph. For when you hit inbox zero, especially if it's the first time in years, you rightly feel like you accomplished something special. And when you do hit inbox zero, we show you stunning and gorgeous imagery. And we do this to widen the emotional repertoire beyond joy into love and surprise because we pick images that are peaceful and tranquil, that create a sense of longing and sentimentality, that even amaze and inspire a sense of awe. So my advice would be, uh, look at these emotional wheels. The best one, like I said, is the Hunto Institute wheel. Look at the emotions in joy, love, and surprise, things like triumph, optimism, and excitement, and see how you can develop your product to nurture those emotions. What has been the impact on, on product usage then, uh, you, you know, implementing this, this theory within your product? It's hard to tell. We certainly have fantastic metrics, everything from activation through engagement, all the way to retention and our net promoter score. They're all best in category. But for those thinking about using game design, I would strongly advise not doing it to drive any metric in particular but because it builds more genuinely interesting and satisfying products. And in the long term, that's a really great outcome for any business. What about the, the key lessons that you've learned from, from using game design within your product? So we've taken these five key factors of goals, emotions, controls, toys, and flow, and we've distilled them down into a certain number of principles. Principles which... If you follow, your users will be intrinsically motivated. And I can talk uh, later on to the difference between intrinsic and extrinsic motivation, but uh, suffice it to say for now, they will use your product not because they have to, but because your product is inherently satisfying. So the seven principles are as follows. Number one, as we 
discussed create concrete, achievable, and rewarding goals. Number two, like we said, design for nuanced emotion. And then three through seven gets into the idea of controls, toys, and flow. Number three is all about controls, and the idea is to create rapid and robust controls. Number four starts to break games down into their constituent parts and how you might go about making one. And it says, make fun toys and then combine them into games. And numbers five through seven are all about flow. Flow gets three because it's so important and so poorly understood. And they are make the next action obvious, give clear and immediate feedback with no distraction. And the hardest one to get right, balance high perceived skill with high perceived challenge. Do you see uh, many other uh, SaaS companies or uh, other tech companies within sort of Silicon Valley or globally uh, also, you know, using or starting to use game design within their, their product? I think we're going to see a tremendous more amount of it in 2020. You may recall around 10 years ago, we had a big surge of a movement called gamification. And mm -hmm. back then, that was a really big deal. And I should point out that game design is not gamification. It's not simply taking your product and adding points, levels, trophies, and badges, because it turns out that doesn't work. What does work is game design, and we're beginning to see a lot more companies start to do that, not only in the consumer space, but also in the enterprise space. And so I think in 2020, we'll see a proliferation of these ideas. How do you suggest that our listeners, uh, sort of early stage you know, SaaS founders, would get started with, with game design, whether they, they have this early stage product or, or they're looking to build uh, one in 2020? I would say two things. Number one, read The Art of Game Design by Jesse Shell. It's a comprehensive introduction to game design and hands down the best book on the topic. And number two, of course, is to regularly play lots of games. Whether you play board games or video games, there's nothing like playing to stay sharp as a game designer. Final question is we always ask our guests uh, how they stay healthy and sane you know, on their journey. It's obviously, uh, I mean, being a founder, being a CEO of a company uh, is, is no mean feat and you know, it comes with its, uh, its stresses, responsibilities. Um, what, is, what is your way that you stay healthy and sane and, and, and be able to kind of give it your all uh, every day, every week, every month and year? I would say it's a combination of three things. Number one, taking care of the emotional mind. Number two, ensuring that you're constantly growing and have sounding boards. And number three, taking care of the body. So for the first, I actively see a therapist, uh, which I would say, you know, up until even as recently as 10 years ago, isn't something people perhaps would talk about, but it's been such a, uh, such a change to my ability to stay calm, stay productive, and maintain emotional composure. I would highly recommend it to any founder. Uh, so number two is about development, learning, and having a sounding board. So I regularly consult with an executive coach, and I have any number of mentors uh, from the investors in Superhuman. And these are people who are wonderful at guiding me through challenging situations that may turn up or occur at work. And number three is to take care of the body. Uh, and there's no substitute for this, but to exercise and to exercise regularly. So whether it's doing cardio, 
uh, and running or lifting weights in the gym, just doing something to get the body moving uh, and to you know witness progress because there may be weeks or months where the company isn't progressing or it feels like maybe you're running in a hamster wheel. And to be able to see progress in some other aspect of your life uh, can be very motivating just to remind you that things still are possible and all you have to do is persevere. Great advice there. And, uh, and on that note, I want to thank you uh, for being a guest on the show. So thank you very much, Rahul Vora, founder and CEO of Superhuman, for sharing the insights into the founding story of Superhuman and uh, the theory of game design uh, at the pro- uh, with using the product. Thank you, Alex. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the SaaS Revolution Show with Rahul Vora, founder and CEO of Superhuman. Rumor has it that he may be speaking at SaaS.20 in Dublin this October. Before that, we have SaaS.Latam in May, SaaS.North America in June, SaaS.Asia in September. Go to SaaS.com forward slash events to see the full calendar. Uh, hopefully see you at one of our conferences.